Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Wave uh, podcast. So when we um, look at society as a whole right now, we, we see some many strange things. We live in very weird times. And one of those is a um, we've reached a level of prosperity in many circles um, that seems to come with a kind of misery. There's even a term mm -hmm. for it of, called affluenza. And I think part of that, and I'll get into this more as we get into the episode, is that it is a curse to become skilled at something that doesn't feed your soul. And it creates a distance. And so today I'm joined by a dear friend of mine, uh, Bobby Holmlibert. Bobby is a uh, a coach, a leadership coach. He primarily works with men that are leaders or entrepreneurs. He was also the officiant at our wedding um, and is a former uh, army officer and a spent about 20 years in various roles in the pastoring career, um, but is now doing um, coaching. And so, Bobby, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. So, you know, this idea, um, you sparked some of this in the work that you're doing. Um, you talk about the disses, um, like people have the disses. What do you mean by that? You know, I think that there are a lot of people that are basically going through their life and to all appearances, um, put together, keeping it together. Yeah, but there is some kind of dissatisfaction. Really, disconnect is probably the main one. And again, I work, you know, mainly with men. There is this disconnect from from themselves, from their work, mm -hmm. from the people around them, and you know, I, it can look like a lot of things. You're right. You can be very successful. Um, comfortable financially and all the rest. You know, even in my case, I think about how, you know, I was a pastor for a long time and, and, and really enjoyed that. But, you know, the longer I was in it, I, I got to a point and, and a few things opened my awareness to kind of where I was, but I felt like I was wearing a, a robe, a role that was uh, well thought of and respected and appreciated. And I appreciated all that, but I, I started to hit a point where there was a disconnect between like true Bobby and, and maybe the, the rope I, I was wearing or the role I was wearing. And I was, I really wrestled with what was that? How, how can I bring an integrity to this work or, or, am, or is there something else beneath that? But I, myself, in my own story know about this, this disconnect. I think a lot of people don't even have necessarily know the words. All they know is just something feels off. Something feels more tired than something a vacation takes care of. And it's not quite burnout because it could right. get there, but it's, it's just, it's tiredness. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's a strange weariness. And like I said, in the, in the preamble, um, you know, it's a, it's a curse to become skilled and not and have mm -hmm. something at something that doesn't feed your soul or yeah. fully feed yeah. your soul. And yes, um, I think that um, there is an overarching shifting of what it means to be a man. And that's mm -hmm. a different topic 
totally, you know, but it is related to that. And that's why mm-hmm. this episode is called the lost boys. Yes. Because there's this sense of being lost, like you say, disconnect or this untethered from their self. And I think about, well, where does that come from? Well, and you, I'm curious about this. If you experience this, the people that are feeling this are often the rule followers, meaning mm-hmm. they, they got the good grades. They went to the good college. They, they got the good, they got the good job. They got the good wife or partner. They got the good, live in a good neighborhood. They got the goods as it were, <laughs> but, but there's something because of that, there's something missing um, from their, um, you know, the, 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 because they've been rule followers. And my yes. working theory with this is that society in general mm. will assign you what you are. Mm. They'll tell you what you are. You know, we're, we're doing career counseling for high school kids or younger. It's like, it's so stupid. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, that's just not, that's not, we should be teaching them uh, mindfulness and emotional intelligence and critical thinking, yes. not like picking a job. Um, but so you get this hologram and then you start making money. The hologram makes money. The hologram um, goes to the baseball games. The hologram has birthday sex. <laughs> the hologram, you know, gets the raise, gets the promotion, but it doesn't really feel like you. And I think that that, that, that perpetuates it, which is why not coincidentally men in particular that go through some sort of significant loss, not like lost their job or something, but like a, a death, or they go they go through a major illness. They mm-hmm. th- they are likely to wake up and go, "Holy smokes, this isn't who I want to be. It's not even who I am." Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if you've noticed that in the people you've interacted with since becoming a coach or even prior. Is it the rule followers that feel this way, or is it? Do you think it's all all a bigger pool? And I'm just sort of ex- over uh, extrapolating. <laughs> yes, uh, the the rule followers definitely fit into this. I can look at you know uh, my own life and and think about how you know I wanted it to to work like a like a good equation. Um, and, and there was sort of an equation at work about good grades and good school and, and, and good job and this mm-hmm. whole sensibility. And I even early in my my seminary days really wanted to work out the theology kind of down to a like you could you could really put it on a grid and picture it. Um, but you're right um, there. There is in following the rules and doing that way and and and, and doing what everyone says. You're not emotionally available to yourself or to others that part's just sort of shut down and comes out every now and again here and there but it's not a a prominent aspect of how you hear yourself know yourself um and and move meaningfully forward and navigate the world even though my gosh it's central it's it's the heart it is the heart Mm -hmm. love the lord your god with all your heart goodness gracious how many times i could proclaim that but but have such a novice understanding of the emotional availability, right. uh, and you're right. I, in my own life, it, it was you know my mom's death and some of the pandemic, some other things. But usually, it is some kind of significant loss, death uh, that sort of opens this thing you did not even know was was there or was only very partially open. And then there's this these floodgates. You're like, oh my gosh, 
what really matters, who really matters. In fact, uh, who am I? Who am I, right? Yeah, the two fundamental questions is who am I and what do I want, you know, out of life? And mm -hmm. or, and you can say the third one is what am I here to do? But, you know, I think that that goes back to that identity crisis that comes. And um, yeah. I think that men, um, it's difficult for us, especially, I mean, I, I, you're more, you're kind of in between millennial and Gen Xer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's more so with like millennial dudes and, and Gen Zers that they're a little bit, they're quite a bit more emotionally intelligent. I, ironically, yes. many of them may be emotionally intelligent, but they're mentally fragile, uh, which sort of mm. negates the emotional, you know, the ability to feel their feelings. They think their feelings are who they are. They've gone, they've over indexed from, you know, like the boomer and world war II generation. But mm -hmm. the idea of, of feeling, of feeling that, and that, that sort of like with all your heart, so unconditional, let's say, as I think, and I've been there, I've been there, and it's painful to realize that really what I thought was unconditional love was operational love. It was operational love, mm. meaning I was doing the things I was doing, you know, pay the bills, you know, you know, do the right thing, yada, yada. Yeah. And I was doing all yeah. of that. And I was still unhappy. Um, yeah. I was still discontent, disconnected. Mm -hmm. discouraged um, in, in, in that process. Um, and I think also, um, well, so as again, we're on the first D here of, of, you know, deep dive. I'm curious, and this is a, I realize this is kind of a semi-sensitive topic or subject within this idea is how, how does religion, especially American Christianity perform perpetuate this feeling rather than rectify it. Yes. <laughs> I think it goes along in part with the, the rule following piece. I mean, American Christianity at large in specific context can, can do this better than others, but at large can really invite this idea that if, if you follow the rules, you do things a certain way, you're a good and acceptable person. And, and you can show up in these, these spaces of worship on Sunday and, and, and the music can be great. Even the preaching can, can really be great, but, but there are so few spaces that open for honest meeting people where they are and letting people share where they are. I mean, I think of the likes of an AA meeting or, or, or that mm -hmm. kind of um, smaller, honest, vulnerable space where you just show up. Here's where I'm at. You're going to hear the whole, whole truth, the full truth, the ugly, and also the beautiful and, and receive it and give and receive it. That kind of vulnerable space is, is the heartbeat of actual transformation and growth and yet in the church wants that oh my gosh the church wants that and yet ironically uh you we can fall in love with creating kind of big beautiful spaces where it certainly feels holy it looks holy um but the air that's breathed there is not honest enough or safe enough for people to feel like okay yeah let's let let's open and grow um mm -hmm. just with what we got and where we got uh where we are yeah yeah it's, you know, I, I was, most people know this, that listen, that I was raised in a fundamentalist sect slash cult. Mm. So I don't have a lot of direct exposure to sort of like 
traditional denominational American Christianity or, or, or evangelicalism. A lot of it's just through stories and observation, yeah. what other people have told me. But they seem to perpetuate the hologram, this image mm. that you, you crafted. And it's interesting is your, all the great spiritual masters, Jesus and Buddha being the primary ones, pointed that out. You know about the 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 the, the um, inherent emptiness of status, um, and you know Jesus mm. in particular pointed that out. And yet we live in a system and in a society that's very status oriented. And you add to that the the um, corrosive theology of the prosperity doctrine, um, and the you know the the strong tilt of evangelicalism to uh, political extremism. And it's no wonder people feel disconnected from that, um, from, uh, from that, from that process. I also think too, that you were talking about going back to what you said about emotions is emotions are evolutionary triggers. That's what they're there for. They're, they're evolutionary, which means that they're designed to provoke change. Hmm. So, but what we do, especially men, because men will not work on something until it, until it stops working, <laughs> uh, generally speaking, is what we'll do is we will find coping mechanisms to deal with the deficiency, hmm. but without yeah. getting to the root issue yeah. of uh, what this feeling is asking. Um, and that's why I think it says this on your website, like, what if the ache is an invitation? I yes. think that's very profound as an idea because you're going, people go to church, go to therapy, go to retreats, they go to whatever, and they're trying to get rid of a feeling instead of listen to it. Yes. And I think it's terrifying to listen to that feeling because what happens to your life um, when you start pulling on the strings of who you, what you thought reality was and what you thought you were. So the question here in the, in the deep dive portion is the, the men, the men that you know, and that you interact with, how many of them would you say have courage, like true courage, like to mm-hmm. go inward, ask questions, confront injustice, like, they have some sort of, because we don't really know how someone feels. We can only look at their behavior. So maybe I'll ask it another way. How, what percentage of the men you know demonstrate courage? Mm. I will say at this point in my life, the, the people I gravitate towards and gravitate towards me have a notable measure of courage. They've shown some kind of action in their life that, that shows a willingness to uh, be self-aware and and realize that that entails some kind of risk. Um, mm-hmm. Courage and self-awareness they go together. Um, yes, very and, well and honestly, said. the people the, the the people I the people I work with are already there at some level on self-awareness, and um, and honestly, are just actually I could say almost across the board are just so tired. Of either numbing it or or just sort of trying to live with it and not notice it, that that they're like I, I'd rather deal with what's there than keep dealing with the ache, and, and yes. I want to figure out. And what I what I tell them, of course, is is to say, 
you know, one incredibly courageous, absolutely. And also you're on the cusp of, of, of something really big because that's your soul knocking, right? That's, that's your yeah. fundamental you coming through yeah. looking to give voice and, and direction. I mean, I, there's something right. wonderfully exciting, but yes, terrifying and takes courage. Yeah. yeah it takes um, courage. Yeah. The, the, I'll add that the thing I'm drawn to thinking of courage. I'm drawn to one of the times we see in the in the in the Bible, Jesus show genuine, obvious emotion, flips the tables in the temple. Right. The religious system has built a whole structure, uh, uh, you know, making money, building this whole thing, this edifice of religiosity, and he flips the money changing tables and says, "This is a house of prayer. You buried the gift. You buried the gift mm-hmm. of connection." And yeah. um, Anyway, it's just striking to think about, it, it, you know, Jesus overtly with emotion and trying to get back to that fundamental gift of connection. Right. Yeah, showing you know anger, um, sorrow. Yeah, I mean, those are that is the, to me the ultimate of masculinity. And in back to courage, yeah. you know, Brene Brown says vulnerability is a, a greatest act of courage. Yes, and yeah. I think Spot I think on. that's true, which is why men in particular, who are not necessarily naturally communal, need <laughs> may, yes. need coaching. They need coaching because it creates a little community of at least two people, them and their coach. They yeah. need coaching on how to challenge their perspectives because men, especially white dudes, come from power structures, which is they don't spend a lot of time challenging, you know, feeling like their opinions are being challenged or, or their mm-hmm. or their decisions are being challenged because they already have power, which is, yeah. again, back to, you know, it's easier for uh, a camel to go through a, the eye of the needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Uh, and, and that's not an anti-wealth statement. It's an ego statement. Um, so that it requires some level of humility to be able to mm-hmm. say, hey, I may not be able to um, access parts of me that I need to in order to understand what this feeling is trying to tell me. So that's what right. coaching is. And I'll come back to that. I, I think that um, with, within the, within the, the matter of courage as well is why you see men struggle to have boundaries. Um, <laughs> and I read, I read something the other day that boundaries mean you want to keep your relationships it's the lack of boundaries that ends relationships eventually because one dominates mm. the other or somebody gets offended. It's boundaries that protect the relationship. And yes. many men I know are terrible at boundary setting, partially because they don't really know what it is because sometimes they think it's a boundary, but it's just an opinion. I used to, mm-hmm. I've realized that now and I'm still working on that. I think there's another component here too of the, um, that well there's a a funny it's like a like a skit where um by a comedian and i can't remember who it was it could have been jim gaffigan but i can't remember where he went golfing with a buddy of his who just got divorced and he gets home and his wife asked him well how's john doing um oh it's good we, we played golf and, but how is he doing after the divorce i don't know <laughs> yeah like, is he is he is he like you know does he moved into his own place i don't know <laughs> So oh my. I, 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 there's something communal there. Uh, there. There's something missing from a communal standpoint. It, yeah. it, I wanted to 
give you some space to talk about what I think is a very unique model that you have around what you call 4-H. Can you talk about that? Yes, it is basically a, a coaching process, coaching model that um, I have built, basically drawing on the tools of being a pastor in, in different capacities over uh, almost a couple decades. And along with, uh, you know, my, my own experience of, of coaches I've walked alongside of people who've coached me and, and doing life. And, and really the first H is, is honesty. Uh, that when I work with, with clients, the, the first place, uh, you know, a lot of times we want to come in there. Well, how do I change? I know I want to change something. I want to work on this. One of those, we start with how, and, and let, really the fundamental anchoring question to any transformation is who let's get real honest on who you are. Your gifts are what your story is, what it is, and the one that's also your soul's looking to tell that's birthing in this moment. Let's just let's just get real clear, real honest, and of course, inevitably, uh, the blind spots, the, the 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 obstacles. But let's get let's start with who and some honesty, and um, and this is an iterative process, I should say. So you're always coming back to this. It's not like you graduate from honesty. <laughs> um, you, you keep working it in the process. The second H is is holy. And I love that word. I, to me, it's such a striking sensibility, but it's one we usually uh, throw out into the ether. Oh, yes. Yeah. Holy places like a, maybe a beautiful cathedral or if you can go off deep into the woods. Um, but holy, uh, it, fair, but holy is is all around us and within us. And what I'm talking about there is let's name the sacred truths core values that, that deeply anchor who you are. They might be deeply buried. They might have not been dusted off in a while, but, but if you listen closely to your life, you have these holy sacred values that are your anchor, that are your compass, that are your guide. As you make tough decisions, as you discern direction, all the rest, these, these are oh, so powerful when you name and then continue to own uh, a space in the holy so honesty, holy. Uh, the next one is uh, is home, and and that's really where you start to think about your your vision and, and what is the story emerging in your life in the near term and the farther term. And and what you find is that if if this vision is rooted in anything that's truly of you and and your holy sacred values, that that no matter how big it is, and it's usually very big, at some fundamental level, it is a coming home. It's a coming home to who you are and what you are really about. You you put that vision on. It just feels you feel the, the, the warmth and fullness of 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 home at home with yourself, at home with your gifts, at home with who you are. Yeah, this is me, not the hologram I've been wearing, not the suit I've been wearing, not the job title I thought was supposed to be me. Oh, oh, I'm wearing this. And then the last age um, is holistic. And, and and that refers to uh, the action steps toward moving into this vision. The behavior changes one at a time, often small at a time, but but definite movement that continue to be made toward the vision. And the, and the reason for holistic is is uh, twofold. One, it's to recognize that any behavior change that's in line with a uh, a true vision, a true home is going to affect all areas of your life. And so uh, absolutely you can uh, focus on the way you want to show up differently to the dinner discussion with your family, uh, 
But if that's part of the vision, oh, that's going to start having ripple effect in all facets of life. It's going to be holistic in, in how it starts to uh, affect things. And um, anyway, it's really just beautiful how how that has its own energy when it's rooted mm -hmm. in the other H's. That's cool. So some kind of one-liner reactions to that um, as I was listening. So um, honesty, I think, starts with questions. If you're not, I mean, you've got to answer the question. You've got to ask the questions. And yes. I often tell people, you can ask the questions in silence. You know, I don't know how God or the universe works. I don't get it. But if you get to a place of silence, solitude, stillness, and you start asking questions, you'll start to get answers, which is why most people don't do that. That honest pleading, of a pleading mm -hmm. question. Who mm -hmm. am I? What mm -hmm. am I here to do? I have a tattoo on my right arm of a heart designed by Caden um, that says love more. And that came out of an honest question. I was asking God or the universe, you know, 10 years ago, plus of what am I here to do? What do I need to do? And it was always got this answer of love more, which I didn't realize. And it's easy to forget. It's literally tattooed on my body. It's easy to forget that the love more starts with loving me unconditionally. Yes. Separate topic, but interesting related to honesty. Uh, holy, I think, unfortunately, and I have been there, I used to think that holy was more about perfection, being sinless, air quotes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, don't yeah. get tempted, don't, don't yeah. use bad words, you know, like that was holy. And I'm not saying if somebody thinks that's holy, they shouldn't, that's, I'm not judging that. But for me, holy holiness are the priceless things that's what makes yeah. them holy they're mm -hmm. priceless so life mm -hmm. breath people um uh art um yeah. community those are priceless there's no way to put a price tag on them therefore they're holy um and then home i think it's very mm -hmm. interesting this whole lost boy thing that so many people and this is what happens when you don't work on your trauma if you've had trauma or you mm. over-index it and you become your trauma, you become a victim um, rather than a survivor, is it keeps you on the run. Theodore Roosevelt talked about there was no horse faster than the black dog. And black dog is what he referred to as depression. And home is that returning. Mm -hmm. um, and then holistically, I was thinking too of the original term, the word repent means to change your behavior. It's not a feeling. It's not about penance. It's about you're just changing your behavior to match your values. And um, so I love yeah. that synchronicity between those four things. Yeah, I appreciate you underscoring some of that. Um, and I honestly, let me just uh, tie a couple of those. The honesty is one of my favorite sections because, wow, I love the gift of a good question or two. I love it for myself. Mm -hmm. I love it for others. It is generative questions. They just take us places we couldn't get otherwise. And and, um, and, and often I like to invite people's stories. So recently I was working with a client and, 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 and starts sharing some of the early childhood stories and, and, and get this great image of, of him just flying down on his bike towards the river. And he's, and, and he, and he says, no helmet, just going. I don't even think I had brakes. And, and, uh, it was this great story. And, and then, you know, a couple hours later, as we come back around that this, this, it was a longer day that the first day I work with folks, it's a kind of a one day immersive. So I come back around to this image and, and realize 
part of the block that's emerged in, in this person's life is um, so many places are, of, his, of his life are, are kind of playing safe and he's aching, aching for that childhood sense of wonder and adventure and the wind in the face to be known again. And it was just beautiful what a question and a story can begin to unlock to find that home yeah. again. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. That goes into the next D of debunking or demystifying. Um, and, and you and I'll just jump off, I'll just take what you said and segue into that is it wasn't until like the last three years that I think, I think I became a fun person, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's one of the things, you know, that I, I, I realized because of fear, um, I missed out on a lot of life of trying things. Cause I had this fear of doing things in front of people that I wasn't good at. Um, and I've told this story before, I think on this podcast, but I took dance lessons before the wedding, Virginia, mm-hmm is a Latina, is an amazing dancer. So I took salsa lessons, like six private lessons. And I think it was the first time I actually learned something since like, you know, school, like learned, like it was, I did mm. not know how to do it. I put the reps in, I listened to the feedback and I got better. Mm. My whole life um, was like, well, if I can't do it, that's just not my thing. And that's, so that's a myth. I think another myth that people have a well, lot, just the way I am. I always think about there was this baseball player, Manny Hernandez, mm-hmm. um, uh, and people would, and he was kind of a head case. And the media news sports journalists would ask like a teammate, what do you do, Manny? Manny Hernandez's behavior. Oh, that's just Manny being Manny. You yeah, know, Ramirez, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rivera's, thank you. Is that we can't, we can't, you know, the mythology that we can't change really who we are. We're just sort of hardwired. And this is the way mm. I am. And, you know, you're going to have to learn how to deal with it. Um, and I think bo- both of those things mm. distance us from distance us from ourselves. And the further away we get from ourselves, the further we get away from other people. Yes, which is what you know the the concept of namaste is about being able to see the divine in another person because you see it within yourself. So when you are talking about men's sort of spiritual and mental health and you're in these mm. circles and groups and talking to people. What are some things where, what are some, what are some mythologies that you think need debunking? Or maybe I'll even ask it another way is when do you get like pushback from people about your ideas? Mm. I, I spoke about a year ago at, at, a, at a venue of, of leaders. And it was kind of one of those luncheon events and they wanted us me to speak on leadership. And I'm very at home with, with talking on leadership and what makes for good leadership. And, and I enjoy it. And the, the person behind the organization kept saying, you know, just, you know, be sure to, to have a, a, a super practical takeaway for these leaders. Okay. I just I said, okay, okay, okay. And, uh, and I give this talk and I feel good about it. I put a lot of, of heart and soul into it and some humor and all the, all the pieces. And it feels important because I want to talk about, uh, you know, leadership certainly as a, 
as a presence, as a presence and, and a way of being. Right. And you can't just manufacture it with a tip or a trick. And so I'm going a little deeper, but but I try to give one little nugget, genuine takeaway. And this talk ends, and I just I can just see the blank stares in the room. No matter how, <laughs> I, I felt like I was so engaging and, and it didn't bother me a great speaker. I thought my speaking ability could just connect with everybody, but I just, I saw the blankness and, and I yeah. realized, okay, for a lot of people, and these are, I'm sure are good leaders in their own way, but, but there is a resistance, a quiet resistance, but a real resistance to this idea that taking time to slow down. Mm -hmm. walk alongside a coach or a friend or others and sort of unpack where you are, listen for your heart and, and, mm -hmm. and start to move from that space. Then mm -hmm. that is just sort of great. If you've got time or you're on vacation or if that's your thing, yeah. but like, that's not fundamental. Give us the tools, give us the five tricks to upskilling our leadership so that next week uh, we do yes. better in the office and have more <laughs> profits. And I could just see, oh my gosh, there's, there is a real, just like, yeah, this, yeah. this isn't worth it. This doesn't make sense. Um, and I experienced yeah. it in the, in the, in the faces that just glazed over on this particular day. Yes. Yeah. That is, wow. That is profound. It's also, yeah, everybody's looking for a hack. There are yes. no soul hacks, people. There's no yeah. soul hack. There's no you can there's no amount of tithing you can do. There's no amount of like holiness, air quotes, that you can have. Uh the most perfect people are the most miserable people. Um, you know, it, it, we're we're evolutionary creatures, it's messy. Um, so I think that is I think that is profound as as an observation but, on your part. But I, I'm so grateful. I'm now more clear about what I do and don't do as a leadership speaker. You know, I was, yeah, I was a little bit like, oh, I can, I can, I can say whatever you need me to say. I just want to be helpful. Yeah. And now I'm like, hold up, hold up, yeah, no, no. And so it gave me clarity on on my yeah. core, holy, sacred anchors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what I'm about, what I'm not about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, anyway. I think. Um... I think another myth um, related to this feeling of feeling lost or disconnected is that you men in particular, that, that because you don't think about your trauma, that means you're over it. Like if you had a traumatic event mm. or, oh, you gosh. know, a traumatic event could be, could yes. be, it was a significant, horrible event in a good life, or yeah. it could be more like my childhood oh. of complex PTSD. And the male mind, this is a survival thing. It's normal, but it, it also is very limiting. The male mind, the man brain, says that if I don't think about it, it doesn't exist, which which basically disconnects you from your body. Um, and when you're disconnected from your body, you mistreat your body, which changes your brain chemistry, which then distorts your reality even further. Uh, and yeah. it's that, it's this idea that Oh, I just, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to go back and deal with that. I'm, I've already moved on. I've already passed it. I'm like, are you really? Because if you're miserable, maybe the ache is an invitation mm. to actually go reintegrate that, to do some, what they call reparenting, which is a therapeutic mm. practice or, yeah. or, or something. What if you, what if that's what it was for and you denying your pain 
um, because it's inconvenient or you don't want to deal with it. It's just perpetuating the disses that you're having. Oh, thank you for saying that. I went, I went to a kind of a men's conference just a, a couple of weeks before this past Christmas. And um, they started the conference out by doing breath work for about an hour, all hundred guys doing breath work. And if you've ever done breath work, you're getting very deep into your body and into your unconscious. And um, it, it can be a little unnerving if you've never been part of it, but I will tell you, uh, a story that came out. I, well, while I'm in it, I was struck by the amount of pain and trauma in the room. A lot of guys just start wailing because now they're getting mm -hmm. in touch with the disconnect. They're in their body. They're in their right. unconscious. They're they're in their they're in their little child. That boy that got hurt somehow. Yeah. And they're and they're yeah. weeping. And 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 my heart's just breaking. Um, and I right. found myself weeping with gratitude for for my parents who who did love me. Um, in profound ways. But but afterwards, this guy comes up to me mid 40s. And uh, he's just at my my dinner table, we're all sharing what happened. And he's he's still got his eyes are red. And he says, Man, the last time I cried, I was 11 years old. Wow. And my dad told me to suck it up. But this yeah. Christmas, I can't wait to go home. Because <laughs> I'm gonna hug him whether he likes it or not. And it was, yeah. it was just beautiful to see yeah. when the reconnection happens. And then the courage, the courage that is named in the reconnection. Right. Yeah. Back when I was doing kind of life-ish coaching, uh, um, I don't do it anymore, but um, I had a client very briefly because he wouldn't do the work, but I felt deeply like the agony that he felt. He was a combat vet. A lot of destructive behavior was actively in therapy, but wanted some guidance on his career. That's what the, that's why he brought me in mm. to coach him. Mm. And I was talking to him about the sort of the fundamentals of mindfulness. Mm. And uh, it's really about getting to know yourself. And he said something to me, I'll never forget because I think this is mm. symbolic of a lot of men. He goes, what if I find myself and I don't like him? which is so sad. Uh, uh, and, mm. and mm. you know, he, um, he opted out. I don't know what ever happened to him, but I think about that a lot. Like what, a, what, what that's just sad. There's no other way to say it. It's, it's, a, it's, it grieves my heart to think of someone being afraid. But then I think back to my own story, I was terrified of who I was, you know, because so much of what I was like in my core self was so counter to the, fundamentalist theologies and the ideologies I was immersed in. Like that wasn't really me. In fact, there were things about me that were, were the opposite of what I was being taught. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, it, we're not, I am not in this episode criticizing men. I'm, and I, I, what I'm saying is there's things that are right in front of you. And this is where a good coach mm. like you, Bobby comes in. There's things that are right in front of you that will transform your life. Yeah. Right in front of you. Um, one of them is like you said, breath, like how old was the guy that said he hadn't cried until he was, since he was 11, mid forties, mid forties. It was right in front of him the whole time. Yeah. And there's more, there's more than that. Yes. Speaking your truth yes. rather than modifying yourself at family reunions, yes. you know, or whatever. Yes. There's a yes. huge list of those things. 
So the, the last D here is debate. Um, is there anything that I said that you want to circle back on, challenge, have a friendly uh, intellectual wrestling match? Um, not, not necessarily, except to say just very recently there, um, it really does. What if I wake? I don't like who I find. I think that is where the gift of a good coach, good friend, um, mentor type is so important because there is a sacred, beautiful person in, in all of us. And, and that person can name it and see that not the not the pain, mm -hmm. the regret, but but the the, the 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 true strand in there. And you were totally right. I loved your dancing story. The more you awaken to that person who is really remarkable, mm -hmm. uh, the more a certain kind of joy takes on form. I know the more I have found myself, the more I've done storytelling uh, and just sort of mm -hmm. love this little creative outlet. That's not for everybody, but I'm, all I'm saying is, yes, um, it does mm -hmm. matter who sees you and helps you see you. Yeah, yeah, thank you for circling back on that. Um, yeah, you didn't say anything I disagree with. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, yeah. I, I, I no, it's okay, it's good because, you know, I get a hard edge to me sometimes. I, I think that's why I sort of, a, I kind of, I kind of understood that Peter and the Bible, you know, cutting off guys' ears and, you know, things like that. <laughs> And you have a, a gentleness about you that is it, 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 that I really admire. Um, and, you know, I think it's why you're brilliant at what you do and why, you know, when you have a, a, you know, do an immersive, a one day immersive with somebody and all of a sudden they just see the life differently. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. So we'll leave it that we'll leave each other in the mutual admiration society. <laughs> and uh, yes. It was great to have you on. Great to have this conversation. I'll link to your website um, in the show notes. And if you're a dude or you love, if there's any dude you love that you think would need some coaching, check out Bobby's stuff. He's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Justin. Really enjoyed it.